Thank you, brother. Good evening. It is good. Day and morning is all the same to the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm just thanking for this wonderful day and this evening. And uh, man, I need this. <laughs> I need this encouragement. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, I still uh, that I've said it before, but that uh, sports analogy, you know, they say uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And uh, one of the devil's tricks is not the big onslaught, which he does come, that big fight, you know, the trial. Sometimes just leans on you with the constant pressure, hoping that you just crack. But we have a place of refuge. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into there and they are safe. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. Thank you, Lord. You're the good shepherd. Your, sh your sheep, we are your sheep. We're the, the sheep of your hand, your people. We need refreshment, Lord, from your presence and from your word. That's why we're here. Why, that's why those who are on the live stream welcome you on the live stream. Father, that's why those who are on the live stream are watching, Lord. They need refreshment, Lord God. They could be watching anything and doing anything, but they decide to tune in and listen to the word of God and join in worship and fellowship even from a distance. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, that you would have mercy on your people and refresh us, Lord. If we said, done, or thought anything since the last time we got together that has not pleased you, even today, Lord God, we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Lord, that you said you're faithful. You're faithful. Even if we remain faithless, you are faithful and you can't deny yourself. What a wonderful God you are. We're looking forward to um, next month celebrating the Resurrection Sunday. I just have such a great anticipation of that day. But now is Resurrection Day. Now is the day, Lord, for us to experience your resurrection power. And to share it when we leave this place to a dying world. The power of Jesus Christ. The resurrection. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're about to do and to say in the name of Jesus. Amen.
open my heart to hear you speak. Come to me, come to me. You're the treasure that I will see. Come to me, come to me. May my heart be true. Draw me close to you. You were the first who loved me, the last and all in between. Though I was lost, you bore my cross on Calvary. You were the first who loved me from here to eternity. I love you, Lord, because you first loved me. You waited for me. And at the right time, you made me yours. Now you are mine. You waited for me. And at the right time, you made me yours. Now you are mine. You waited for me. And at the right time, you made me yours. Now you are mine. You waited for me.
Remember King David, when they brought the ark back, it wasn't a solemn, sober, quiet, dignified occasion. It was raucous. David looked, he he got in trouble with his wife, (laughs) but he was dancing and with all his might before the Lord. He didn't look like any of the kings of the east with their royal procession behind him. He was just like everybody else. And he just saw himself humble and small in sight of the Lord. And he knew why he was on his throne at that time. And when he could bring the presence of the Lord near him, it brought great rejoicing. When we get to see Jesus face to face, and I always had that vision. I I repeat it to myself a lot. When he lifts up those hands and we see those nail prints, it's not going to be a restrained Presbyterian hallelujah. (laughs) It's going to be a shout from the depths of our beings, just thanking him for all that he's done. So why wait? Hallelujah. Why wait? Hallelujah. Lord, I just pray, Lord, in times comes in the future that this little body will experience that liberty in the Holy Spirit, the freedom of expression to you, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I know the beauty of worship is that it's attractive. People come when they sense your presence, Lord. I believe when your presence hits this place, even people off the street will feel something different when they pass the building. I want to find out what's going on. Hallelujah. Thank you. forgiven because you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again I'm forgiven Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how? can it be 
that you, my King, should die for me. Amazing love, and I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again, amazing love, That you, my king, should die for me. Amazing love, and I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Jesus, you are my King. Jesus, you are my King. You are my King. Amazing love, how can it be? That you, my King, should die for me. Amazing love, and I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. Amazing love, amazing love, how can it be? That you, my King, should die for me. Oh, amazing love, and I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you in all I do. I honor you, oh, you are my king, you are my king, Jesus, you
Okay, it's still sitting, right? I'm not on the floor. These things make noise. You never know what you're going to get. How's everybody? Doing good. Good to see everybody. Welcome. Welcome to those online. Glad everybody's here tonight that can be. We're going to keep our keep our study going. Eventually, we are going to get through this. We're in 57. we got, what, nine chapters left. Wow, nine chapters. We'll be done by 2026. The way it seems to be going. But, hey, you know what? I'm excited to bring the Word. I'm excited to study the Word. And I know you are, too. That's why you're here tonight. So let's let's dive in and go to the Lord and thank Him for all He's given us and what He's about to. Lord, thank You. We do praise You. We love You. We, we seek You. We desire You. And we ask, Lord, that You speak to our hearts. Lord, give us wisdom, discernment in Your Word tonight. Uh, we know, Lord, that as we go through a lot of these Old Testament books, particularly, Lord, that there's a lot that was written for their day, but it's written for us, too. And there's so much, Lord, that, that we can glean from regarding our culture today. And we just pray, Lord, that you just give us that insight so that we can see the parallels and we can understand, Lord, that you're the same God. Through all generations, you have not changed. And, Lord, man hasn't changed either unless he sees you and comes to know you through Jesus Christ. His heart is the same. It's rebellious. And, Lord, it, it, it goes against everything and, and, and it goes against who you are. So I pray tonight, Lord, that you will let us see what you have for us and let us process it, understand it, and apply it. And walk away, Lord, stronger than when we came. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the last study here in Isaiah, we saw him speaking to both his culture and his time, but he also was speaking prophetically. And several times he spoke of not defiling the Sabbath. And we know for us today that Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. So it's no longer a day or a celebration or a, even a, a, a week of Sabbath, as they call it, a Sabbath week. But our, our rest is found in our relationship with Jesus. So it's not about religion. It's not about days. It's not about all of these practices and implementing these different things that we have to do. We now have this relationship, and this relationship is what sustains us and gives us the rest that we need. And it's important for us to grab that. Now, I, don't, I, I, I do believe that we need time to just chill physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, there is a place for that. I mean, God even said in the beginning, before the law, before everything was put there regarding the Sabbath, he created the day, the, the world in six days, and then the seventh day he rested. So there is a time for rest physically. And we need to make sure that we don't overdo and overdo and overdo and push ourselves so hard that we're not physically and mentally uh, refreshed. But our spiritual being in regards to who we are now in relationship with God, is no longer bound by a certain day because we have this relationship with him, and he is our rest. And we also saw Isaiah speaking to the leaders of Israel regarding not shepherding. And they were leading not according to truth, but rather than tradition and self-gain. And all through their history, that's what was going on. And we saw that particularly in Jesus' day. When he was there, that's the one thing that he was continually calling them out on was that you're not for the people. You're not ministering to them and for them. You're, you're, it's all about self-gain. It's about power. 
in control. And so that's what um, that's what was going on even back here. We saw him uh, basically bringing rebuke on them for this. The same for us today. The sheep need solid food. They don't need milk and honey every week. And milk and honey's great. And I love it when we're in that that part of the message where we have the milk and honey. But when it comes time to reading the the hard truths about about who, what God is, being His holiness. And that he doesn't he doesn't wink at sin, doesn't just doesn't put it aside. He will deal with it. We saw that last week in our Sunday message. We need to make sure that we're shepherding and teaching and encouraging according to the full counsel of God's word. Not watering things down to keep everybody happy, because I'll be honest with you. When you start watering things down to keep people happy, they'll find something to be unhappy about. Because there's nothing to cause them to change to be more like Jesus and there's really what it comes down to if you're only giving positive mental attitude speeches from the pulpit on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night then you're not giving them a chance to grow out of their fleshly nature into the nature of God of whom they're called to be so you're depriving them not just of truth but of growth and it's going to come back on you because that's not what we're called to do as shepherds and may the pastor, pastors today come to the place to where we hold fast to his word and let the Spirit of God bring the conviction for those who will hear. Conviction is a good thing. So to get convicted of something, you almost have to be offended by it, don't you? Offense brings the conviction. But if there's no offense, if you're not being taught that your lifestyle or the fleshly nature of man goes against God's word, if you're not being taught that, then you're not being offended with God's word, which means you have no conviction, which means you can't repent because you don't think you have anything to repent from. I'm a good person. I'm okay. We noticed that, you know, when we were out on the street here a couple of weeks back talking to people, asking people if we could pray for them. No, I'm good. I'm okay. I don't know where their, their real relationship was. They didn't want to talk about it, and they didn't want us to pray for them. And you'll run into that. But the truth is, is that majority of people who call themselves Christians today would say, I'm okay, but they're torn up inside because they don't have a foundation. All they've got is milk and fluff, and it can't sustain when you go through a difficult season. It won't sustain when you go through those things. Now, in this chapter, Isaiah continues to bring, or continues to bring rebuke on Judah's leaders for their idolatry and how he'll provide a way to restore them if they will turn to him, which is what the, this is the, the amazing thing about God. He can be harsh when he has to be harsh because judgment is part of his character. But he always shows mercy in the midst of his judgment. And we'll see that he does the same here. So let's begin Isaiah 57, beginning with verse 1. The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil, he shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in uprightness. So I'm going to stop right there and ask for your input on these two verses. Any any comments or thoughts on these? <coughs> Why do bad people get good things? Mm. Sum it up. Right. Yeah. And there's a question that a lot of, uh, we hear that a lot. If God is such a loving God, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? 
Well, God's mercy is God's mercy. The bad things are not from God. Mm -hmm. The bad things are from sin that's in the world well, all the way back to Adam. God doesn't intervene in that because he sent one way to be redeemed, and that one way is Jesus. And if we focus on Jesus, we still have to be in this world, in and around the bad, which means it's going to affect us, but it cannot condemn us. It cannot destroy us because we have a place in eternity. So when you look at God, you have to see the big picture. You can't just put it all into today, today or, or what happened today, this morning or yesterday or even tomorrow. It's, it's all encompassed, and God sees it all, and he knows it all. And when we see him face to face, we're going to know. As, as we're known, we're going to know him. We're gonna, we're gonna, our eyes are going to be open to the reality of why. And right now, we don't have that question answered. The bad things are going to happen anyway. Wouldn't you rather go through them with Jesus than with us? Amen. <laughs> Amen. You know, that's right. We were talking last night. This came up because uh, um, we were watching this, this documentary. It's about people who survived some really horrible things. And this one, one lady was attacked in her home. And, um, and she, was, she was fighting for a life. I mean, this guy had gotten a knife. He was stabbing her. Mm. And she'd gotten the knife away from him. And she'd, you know, it was just a back-and-forth battle. But at one point, he was, he was pretty much on top of her. Fight, they were fighting for the knife. She had it, that they were fighting for it. And, and she, she, she said something to the effect of, you know, you know, God, help me. And he said, where is your God right now? Do you still believe in God? And she said, I believe he's with me right now. And I, this is her story. Something lifted him up off of her. She had control of the knife and then just plunged him down. And he died, not at the moment, but he crawled off and died. The point is, is that I believe that was the power of God. When she said, I believe he's with me right now, he intervened. Now, is that going to happen every time? No. Sometimes good people, Christian people, are killed and they go to heaven. They're martyred. They go to be with Jesus. But the point I'm making here is that God is in control at all times. Mm -hmm. And she had the opportunity to pronounce faith mm -hmm. at that point. He had the opportunity to choose that faith. Right. And he chose. He, he was chose, still fighting her. Yeah, he chose. But he answer. wasn't fighting her, he was fighting God. That's right. So when we see this, we see that aspect of it that, you know, the righteous people are not being taken care of and, and no man cares. It doesn't seem that anybody even cares. And merciful men are taken away, and no one considers. We have to consider that the righteous, when this happens, the righteous are taken away from evil. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a real positive way to look at it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That may have been an evil situation. It could have been an accident. It could have been a sickness. But when, we, when someone departs from this world, if they're a believer, we need to look at it in this way. We have to consider that the righteous are taken away from evil. We still have to be around it. Mm -hmm. When they're in the presence of God... Worshiping Jesus, they're no longer in this presence of evil. And it says, he shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. Now, the other aspect of these verses is that it shows us in this point that no man takes it to heart and no one considers that Judah's leaders have forsaken their role as leaders. Mm -hmm. They weren't caring or concerned that righteous people were, uh, were perishing. They didn't consider it at all. They were still trying to control and be in power. But the wonderful thing that we can really glean here is 
God will not forsake his people. Yeah. And we may think because bad things happen, well, God forsaken. No. You gotta look at the, the fact that we are only in this world for this short little period of time. And this is the place where we have to put the rubber on the road, the rubber meets the road, being the fact that if we're believers, we have to hang tight and believe what we say we believe. And while God does things and allows things that we don't always understand, we can always depend upon the fact that he's not forsaken us. Always. And if he's not forsaken us and he's for us, even if something bad happens, and even if we leave this world early, early based on man's terms, we are now in the presence of God. So there's mercy there, right? The ones who are not really feeling it are the ones left behind to grieve. And grief is a real emotion. It's, it's real. We have to go through those things in this world. But even in our grief as believers, we can know we are at peace with being with Jesus. Should that not light the fire for us to be a little bit more uh, lit for other people? <laughs> We're the light of the world. Let's light up. You know? Let's let people know. Because we don't know what our timeline is. Nobody does. We don't know when we're going to take our last breath. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. But we do know that he is our source of strength. He is our redeemer. We're going to spend eternity with him. And it's in his timeline. So we can walk in peace here. But Deuteronomy 4, 31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. And then Isaiah 41, verse 17, it says, The poor needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. And think about this when they were going through the desert. There's no water. There's no food. What are we going to do? Let's go back to Egypt. When they needed water, he provided the water from the rock. When they needed food, he provided manna from heaven. Now, they weren't content with that. See, the thing is, they're kind of like, like, like us. Think about it. We can go into the kitchen and... <laughs> turn it on and off, on and off. We're in control, as long as you pay your wife. And the government's in control. Eventually, they're going to be in control anyway, but that's a whole other But think about it. If something were to happen, the water lines are broken, now what? Well, I can't believe we don't have any water. I need a shower. I need a drink of water. I, well, there's a creek about a half a mile down the road. I ain't walking a half a mile to get a bucket of water. Well, your ancestors did it. You know, before indoor plumbing came, they had to walk to get their stuff. Yeah. I know when I go backpacking, that's the hardest part. Well, not the hardest part. The hardest part is putting pack on in the morning when you get up out of that cold tent that you're in. But when you're when you when you're going along and you finally come to a place where you can set camp, where's water? Where's water? We carry two canteens, both of us. One uh, mine's about um, 28 ounces each. They weigh about four pounds a piece. You want to get rid of your weight, but you don't want to get rid of your water, so you struggle through it. So you're carrying along, but you've got to know where the water sources are. And sometimes you set your camp and you have to walk a quarter mile to the creek, to the bottom, to get the water, fill up, and come back up. 
And after you've hiked for nine or ten miles in a day, you don't want to do that. So that's not the lifestyle that I choose for the long term. But the truth is, is that they were complaining because it wasn't instant. It wasn't accessible at the moment. We have to wait on God to provide it. Truly, you weren't really thirsty until he, he provided the water. Because if he didn't provide it, you didn't need it. They, none of them died of thirst in the, in, the, in the desert. None of them died of hunger in the desert. But that's what they complained about. And also notice none of their clothes ever wore out for 40 years. I'd like to know that. I probably still have clothes in my closet from 40 years ago. Unless my wife's found them, throwing them out because they're too old and ugly. Which I'm still missing a sweater or two. I'm kind of not happy about it. <laughs> but the point here is, is that in these verses we see, yes, there's going to be, there's going to have things happen to the righteous, but God is still in control. And he's going to continue to be in control and will not forsake his people. Anything else that anyone wants to add on those before we move on? Move on. Verse 3. But come here, you sons of the sorceress, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? I love the way some of these things, these prophets wrote. Are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with God's little g under every green tree? slaying the children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion they, they are your lot even to them you've poured out a drink offering you made offered, you have offered a grain offering should I receive comfort in these on a lofty and high mountain you have set your bed even there you went up to offer sacrifice also behind the doors and their posts you've set up your remembrance mm -hmm. you've uncovered yourself to those other than me and have gone up to them you've enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them you've loved their bed where you saw their nudity you went to the king with ointment and increased your perfumes you sent your messengers far off and even descended to Sheol you are wearied in the length of your way, yet you did not say there is no hope. You found the life of your hand, therefore you were not grieved. And of whom have you been afraid or feared, that you've lied and not remembered me, nor taken it to your heart? Is it because I've held peace from old, from of old, that you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your works, for they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you, but the wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them, but he who puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. What are, the, what are your thoughts on these verses? It's like, go ahead, see just how far you're going to get with these false gods instead of putting your full trust in, in me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. This is this what you've chosen? Yeah. Let's see where it gets you. Good point. What else? Just the, the depths that idolatry brings a person. 
mm. how low, mm -hmm. and the twistedness of it, thinking that you're actually doing something good. Mm -hmm. And I, and the song, that Bob Dylan song came to mind. You gotta serve somebody. You gotta serve somebody. That's right. If, <laughs> that, that's where it may be the devil. It may be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. But that's yeah. it's only two. It's only two choices. Yeah. In reality, it's only two. And if you're not serving the Lord, your heart's gonna go that other direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's right. And that's you know it's a, the very the thing about Christianity. The real truth is, it is that simple. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not that simple in the church sometimes because we overthink it yeah. and make it too complicated. Mm -hmm. Or we get off track and make it about rules and regulations. Or we get off track and we start making it about money and all the other stuff about it. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is it, it comes down to the very simplicity of, of you're either with Jesus or you're not. Mm -hmm. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. Gray area does not exist with God. It only exists with man when he decides he wants to stretch it a little bit yeah. to see if he can thin that black down to gray. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And say, well, it's not really what it means. It's not exactly, if this isn't really what God's talking about here, well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. If it goes against his word, yeah. he goes against his word. Now, they're still he's still speaking to Judah's leaders here. He's really pulling them down. They've fallen into idolatry. And their idolatry has progressed further and further and further. You can say, uh, well, you know, yeah, I, I looked at that idol. Well, then the next thing you know, well, yeah, I, I, I picked the idol up, but. And the next thing you know, well, yeah, the idol's here, but I don't really worship it. <laughs> Until the point it comes where it is all that you think of and all that you worship. And it's now the centerpiece of your home, the centerpiece of your life. And we're not talking about necessarily a carved image. Mm -hmm. That's what they were talking about there. For, for the most part, they would make carved images of all these gods. But it doesn't have to be a carved image. Mm -hmm. It could be a middle stronghold of, of, or a, a fleshly stronghold of what's pulling you away from Jesus. It's something that you're drawn to, something that you focus on, something that you put above him. But that's what the leaders have done here. And then it goes on to say they, they really committed adultery. You see, this is something that, that, again, when you look at it, God many times through Scripture refers to us as being in this relationship, a husband and wife type relationship. And with Israel, they would play the harlot. Mm -hmm. They would move away from God and go play the harlot with these other gods. They would get into trouble. Then they'd want to come back. And sometimes he wouldn't take them back right away. He always had mercy, but they had to pay a price in many, many cases because of the sin that they had committed. But when you commit yourself over to something other than God, then you're committing adultery against God. Because particularly with the church, we're the bride of Christ. He's the husband, we're the bride, the church. So when the church, which is you and me, turns our way our eyes away from Jesus and start focusing on the things of the world, then we're doing the same thing. We're, we're being adulterous because our heart is supposed to be fully on Jesus and in Jesus. To love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment. So if that's the case, if we're not loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, what does that tell us? 
starting to play the harlot. Now these are hard words, but this is the way God sees it. And we see it here, and we see it in other places in, in Scripture. He goes on to say they were offering drink offerings and grain offerings to them. Now, drink offerings and grain offerings were very specific in the law of Moses to God, the holy God, the true God. And they had a certain time that they would do these things, certain offerings, when they would do them. And now they're taking these things that are holy unto God and offering them something else. I mean, what a slap in the face. But this is what they would do. And, this, and they would lead the other people. This goes back to the shepherding. See, the people would follow the leaders. And if the leaders were doing these things, they would find themselves doing these things. And they would be taken off into this idolatrous, adulterous relationships. And we also read in there that you were doing these things and there was no grief. There was no shame. There was no, no feeling of, oh, this really sh I shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. See, when you come, when, when, when you start falling into sin and you, and, and, and you know it's sin and you know it's wrong, there's that grief, there's that shame that comes with it. But at some point, outside of the mercy of God, that turn your heart, your hardness of your heart takes over, and the next thing you know, that fades away. There's no more shame. There's no more grief. There's no more fear of God. <coughs> and you have to have fear of the Lord, not shaky, hide from Him fear like Adam had when they sinned against Him and they hid themselves because they found themselves naked. Well, who told you you were naked, Adam? You know, well, we were afraid. Well. Prior to sin, there was no fear. Prior to sin, there was no shame. There was nothing. They, they were just. They were. They existed in a beautiful sense of perfection in God's presence. That's where God wants us to return, and that's why Jesus came to bring us back to that place, to be in that place of a perfect relationship with God. But again, they had no fear. Deuteronomy 8.6 says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. And Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in Malachi 3.16-17, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on that day that I made them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Now think about that for a minute. This book. Book of remembrance. Could that not also be the book of life? Because we know in heaven there's the Lamb's book of life. Mm -hmm. And the name is written. Mm -hmm. Who believe in Jesus, their name is written. When you turn to God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because you now fear the Lord for who he is, his awesomeness, his holiness. But you also understand the mercy. And you understand that his mercy and grace is always there. And he's going to be sufficient for you in all that you need. So 
this is where Israel or, or Judah, and this is where the leaders of Judah have found themselves, is they had just continued to degrade and degrade and degrade till they find themselves right in the middle of this idolatry. And it almost looks like Lot, doesn't it? Think about Lot. Him and Abraham, they're striving along together. Their families are getting bigger and bigger, and they're fighting over wells that were dug. And Abraham says, look, it's not good for us to continue together. Let's separate. So you take whatever you want, whatever direction, whatever land you want, you go. You pick first. This was Abraham's heart. He's like, you're my nephew. You're my, you're my kin. You're kinfolk. So you go wherever you want to go, take whatever you want to take. And what does it say? Lot looked up and cast his eyes upon Sodom. And so he saw Sodom and said, hmm, well, this land looks good and all that. But he was really looking at that city. The next thing you know, he's at the gate. Next thing you know, he's living it up in that city and surrounded by all of this evil. Now, the Bible says that, in, and I believe it's, um, it's either in Hebrews or it may have been in Jude. I'm not totally sure, but what it says is, is that he was tormented. His righteous soul was tormented. And that doesn't mean that his fleshly nature hadn't given in to a lot of things. But his righteous soul was tormented because he knew, even though he'd, he'd gotten closer, got in, you know, he was that close. His wife had already crossed the line. Mm -hmm. And when they left, she, her heart was still there. She turned back as she was told not to. She was turned to a pillar of salt. But they were snatched out of Sodom. Yeah, grab a hold of them and pull them out. Mm -hmm. It's time. Got to go. Fire's coming. Were they snatched out because of the prayer of Abraham, though? He I'm sure. I'm sure, absolutely. Abraham knew what was coming. That was one, probably one of the reasons that God came to him and spoke to him. Right. And said, because he even said, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? What judgment's about to come? And so he told Abraham, and Abraham, well, what if there are 50 righteous? Well, <laughs> well, okay, if there's 50, you know, well, well, well let me, how about 40? <laughs> I mean, he's like, he's like negotiating with God here. He gets it down to 10, you know? They couldn't even find ten. Mm. They could not find ten righteous people in that city. But what this tells us is human nature is the same from Israel all the way back to Adam. Human nature is he's easily deceived and he's easily uh, and willingly in a lot of cases just follow after the desires of his flesh. And once you start that road it just piles on and piles on and piles on and it's so hard to go back. It's just like exercise. Once you start, it hurts. But the more you do it, the more consistent you are, well, it still hurts. But, you know, because I see, I see some people shaking their heads like, it hurts every time I go. But there's a discipline that's in place that you're actually going because you know it's good for you. But once you quit, you still desire it for a short period of time. I need to get back. I need to. I need. Then the next day comes, you know, maybe I don't need it so bad. <laughs> and then weeks go by I, I, I don't want to go back to that but then one day you get stirred again and you start up again and oh are you sorry that you ever quit <laughs> well it's the same thing spiritually spiritually we have to exercise that spiritual nature because it's, it, we can't let it lie dormant if it lies dormant by not going to the Word, if it lies dormant by not being in prayer, if it lies dormant by not remaining in relationship and abiding with Jesus, then what it does is it just sits there and the next thing you know, you're drifting away from it because it's not pulling you in because you're not feeding it. 
And you begin to feed the flesh. When you start feeding the flesh, it goes against the spirit. Then the spirit goes against the flesh. And now you're back in this huge battle again of finding yourself not where you're supposed to be in relationship with God. And this is an ongoing battle because we're still in this fleshly tent. But what God is telling them, he says, listen, you guys were the leaders. You were the shepherds. You've gotten yourself into this place. You've led the people into this place. And now we're at this whole, this whole atmosphere of, of shame and grief that should be there is just not there. You have no fear of God and His holiness any longer. And that, again, is a dangerous place to be. Any other comments on this? Well, this is kind of what, like what I was talking to Rod as I was giving him a ride to his probation officer class. And I said, your father doesn't like you to listen to it worldly music. I, I said, nowhere in the Bible that thou shalt not listen to this type of music. I said, however, it depends what you're going to feed. Are you going to feed the fleshly nature, the, the sin nature, or are you, are you going to feed the spiritual nature? nature? What you feed will get stronger. Mm -hmm. And that's our concern. Mm -hmm. And that's wisdom. Yeah. Wisdom. And it's hard yeah. because you do like what you like, you want what you want, mm -hmm. you enjoy what you enjoy, and the more you pursue it, the more it pulls you away mm. from God. And not all secular music is bad, but there are some types of secular music that is all bad. And the words, which sometimes, here's, here's how Satan really gets you on music. He makes it loud mm -hmm. and obnoxious so you can't understand the words. Right. But you like the beat. <laughs> you like the beat. Mm -hmm. A lot of dance songs are that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like the beat, I like the beat, and you're into the beat. But then you take the time, and sometimes you might get mature enough to go read the lyrics. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't know it was about that. Yeah, yeah it's been about that since the song was written. Mm -hmm. And you were participating with it and enjoying it because you like the beat. But you weren't paying attention to the meaning behind it. And this Satan, Satan has his avenues through all of us, TV, music, whatever, it doesn't matter. And he knows where our fleshly nature is drawn to. He doesn't control us, but he observes us. And he observes us enough to know where your weaknesses are, and that's what he's going to put up on every corner to try to sucker punch you, to pull you in. And that's and why we need fellowship. Exactly. Because that I'm convicted every time I sit here. Mm -hmm. And without it, you just fall away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the more you don't come, the more the easier it yeah, is not absolutely. to come. Mm -hmm. I can roll over rather than roll out. That's right. That's right. You know? And now with all this technology, yeah. I'm gonna set up the camera and teach from my bed. Unless <laughs> <laughs> y'all come in here. I'm gonna roll over and just teach one Sunday. And don't wanna have it up on the screen. Yeah, Pastor said he's gonna roll over today and teach from there. <laughs> I clean up my bedroom a little bit, but I swear I'm gonna <laughs> I mean, think about it. It can work both ways, can it? Well, and I'm not careful. condemning people online. There are people who are better online because they have pan. to be. What's that? I said, be careful. Jennifer has a frying pan. Well, no, she's coming. <laughs> She'll be here. <laughs> Someone's going to make a coffee. Let's move on. Uh, I, just, I just have one more thing on verse yeah. 11. Verse 11. And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and not remembered me? 
nor taken it to heart, is it not because I have held my peace mm -hmm. from of old that you do not fear me? The one of the deceptions is that since God doesn't lower the boom immediately, right, then he's okay with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. That's a very good point. But that's still, God's mercy is even taking advantage of us. And that's really what it's saying. I've had mercy on you, but not wiping you out because of your sin and, and, and what you've been doing. And because I haven't done it, you're now thinking I'm okay with it. You know, longer fear me. I think there's, there's a lot of what struck me here. Um, there's two mountains in these verses here. In the verse 7 it says, On a high lofty mountain you have set your, your bed, meaning that's where you're worshiping. And then if you go down to, to uh, verse 13, it says, But he who takes refuge, refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Mm. So there's that there's it's that it's that temptation of getting up, you know, but it's not the right one. It's the wrong right. mountain to climb. Right, the prideful mountain, yeah. the mountain of self-satisfaction, yeah. the mountain of self-provision that I can get what I want and I can I can accumulate and be all this and all that. And God says, "You're right." He says, "You know, but you know, if you humble yourself, then I will take you and give you and inherit my holy mountain, which is the perfect mountain." the place of peace, the place of, of rest, of which he promises us. Let's pick up verse 14. And one shall say, heap it up, heap it up, prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, oh I love that, Amen. whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, right. nor will I always be angry. And right there is just something to think about. Right. He's not going to contend forever, meaning he's not going to just stand by and let it continue. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when his anger is aroused, he's not going to be angry forever. God is perfect in his anger, and is he perfect in his mercy? For with the spirit, for the spirit would fail before me, and the souls with which I've made. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry, and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. Mm -hmm. I have seen his ways, and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him who is afar off, and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Oh. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> Thoughts on these verses? just reminds me, Jesus says, all you need is a mustard seed of faith. Mm -hmm. If there's a little <laughs> mm -hmm. something there God will, he will heal and restore. For the wicked, it, it, it's, it's a mystery. The Bible calls iniquity, there's a mystery of iniquity. Mm -hmm. When a person hits that point of no return, when God said, that's it, I'm done. Yeah. 
I mean, you said something past this past Sunday about people who get into, uh, uh, you know, the um, once saved, always saved, or mm -hmm. you can lose your salvation debate. When they get into the debate, some people who are in the debate, the motive is the false assurance. Mm -hmm. That's, I don't even know how to articulate it. The mirth, there's such great mercy <laughs> with those who, that's not even on their minds. The focus is on the Lord. Yeah. Even if this, even if we bumble and stumble, <laughs> yeah. if we humble ourselves before the Lord, there's yeah, great humility. And, and you're right. And, 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 and going further on that same point, um, <coughs> you know, once, once you've believed upon Jesus, you have eternal life. But you have to abide. And, and so, you know, when you get into this question of, well, you know, there's no fruit, there's no this, there's no that. Well, ultimately, that's between them and God. That, they're going to have to face Jesus with whether or not their heart was sincere or not. But we do, ha we do have to come to, to, to the point where we can say, I believe that Jesus, who he, who he says he is, he did what he did. He came, he rescued me from my sin. I'm abiding in him. I'm in this relationship, not religion, because religion is where you'll find that question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That question is a religious question. What saved, always saved. Uh, predestination, all of these things. They're religious questions. And why are they religious questions? Because people who are in religion need security. Mm -hmm. And they need to find something, a one verse somewhere that's going to give them that security. Well, your security is not in that one verse. Your security is in your relationship with Jesus. So if you're in that relationship... That question should never come up. But it's either for themselves, like you said, for some type of an insurance policy, or it might be because some of their loved ones who claim to be believers passed on, and they don't want to have doubts. They don't want to have doubts. Were they really saved? Were they not saved? I can't imagine them not being in heaven with me. So they begin to go this way. I remember one time, and I think there was even a couple of prominent pastors went down this road when it comes to... Um, life after death uh, we had a, a lady we knew she lost her son in a car accident and after he died uh, things began to bump in the house pictures would be knocked off the wall mm. they came to believe that was their son mm -hmm. that was just letting them know he's okay or whatever there's no scripture nothing in a Christian walk that would explain that but they wanted to believe it. And I've had heard other pastors who've lost children who've written books and they begin to go in the same direction. It's it's as though they need something to reaffirm that their child is is, is okay. But but the rep the reaffirmation is not gonna be for the bump on the wall. It's gonna be did they know Jesus or did they not? And if they knew Jesus, he's not bumping pictures off your wall. Right. He's in heaven praising God. Right. Now, these were Christian people. They believed in God. They went to church every Sunday, but this is the direction that they went because they really, they needed something. They, and I don't know how they got that, but that's what they needed. And I believe, again, this is one of those things where you can take with a grain of salt on this. It's just my opinion. I believe Satan took advantage of that, and he was the one sending demons to knock things around. Confusing them, keeping them from focusing on their relationship with God and that they would see him again if they were believers. And so this is the thing that we have to come to. There's all of this aspect of, of, um, of, of, of diversion, if you will. But in God, it's simple. 
And it's true. You believe, you have eternal life. But what is belief? Belief is coming beyond a prayer. True belief means surrender. And you've got to have that surrender. But what we're seeing here on these verses is it's a call to repentance. It's a call to repentance. God dwells with those who have a humble and contrite spirit and a contrite heart. That's who he's after. He's after all. I mean, don't get me wrong. His, Jesus said, you know, whoever, whomsoever will believe shall have eternal life, which means that whomsoever is everybody, but not every whomsoever is going to. Only those who become, who come with a humble and contrite heart. Because that's where they're going to find Jesus. That's, who they, that's when they're going to really understand what truth is. If you come with pride in your heart, well, I'll consider this Jesus. I may even try Christianity. Well, don't bother. And I've had people that witness that way. You don't, you don't give Christianity a try. Come to church with me. Give Christianity a try. No. You don't give Christianity a try. It's not something you take off the shelf and then take back next week if you didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Either, either you believe or you don't. Yeah. Yeah, well, one thing came to mind was uh, Pharaoh, you know, you know, with, the, with, the, with, with Moses. He got to the point to where Pharaoh was hardening his heart to the point where God hardened his heart. And when that happens, you know, yeah. we, can't, we can't get to that state. No, and that goes back to the, uh, what we were talking about earlier. The process is you begin here, and you progress to here, you progress to here, and at this point, you've gone to the, you're not turning back. And when your heart has crossed that line, and only God knows when that is, he does the hardening on top of the hardening that you've already done. I mean, it's very specific. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened to the point where he couldn't be returned. God used that then against against, uh, Egypt itself. He used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart against him. His own people, his army perished because of the hardness of his heart. And so, you know, but here's the thing. We today have set before us this season of grace for believers, for non-believers, for the non-believers to accept Jesus, to walk in him, for believers who have backslidden, who, who fell away, who are, who are struggling with this world and have fallen into sin. If there's conviction there, if there's still uh, a knowing that what they've done is wrong and they want to pull, be pulled from that, there's hope for them. But they've got to humble themselves before the Lord and cry out to Him and say, God, I have messed up and I can't fix it and I can't seem to find my own way back. Help me. And don't be like the guy who fell off the cliff who's hanging on to that one and final branch and then cries out to God, God, help me. If you're up there, help me. And here's this voice. Let go of the branch and trust. Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> you, can't, you can't keep searching for something else when God speaks. Listen and trust. Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17. David wrote this after his sin with Bathsheba. But this is one little part of it. I encourage you to read that whole chapter. It's really an encouraging chapter to know that no matter where you've been, God's mercy and grace is still available. But it says, For you did not desire sacrifice, or else I will give it. You did not delight in burnt offering. 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So it really comes down to the attitude of the heart. Is there pride? Because even the little bit of pride that would say, well, I, I think I'm still okay. I don't really think I need to surrender. I mean, everything's good. Business is good. Life is good. Family seems to be all right. I don't really need to go any further in my relationship with Jesus. Well, that's a very dangerous place to be. And a lot of people don't want to pursue Jesus because they know there's going to be some suffering involved. Listen, the enemy's not going to leave you alone when you're all in for Christ. He's just not. And Jesus said, you will be persecuted as they persecuted me. So it's to be expected, but I can understand not just wanting to take a banner out and say, here I am, persecute me, persecute me. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about being so content in your relationship with Jesus that if it, well, let me put it this way: If you get too content with just the where you are, where you've been, you're missing out so much on what He has for you because it's an ongoing thing. It's it's like a river. And these these words have been in my mind now for the last week, and I'm, it's a song in it, Johnny. I ain't got it out yet, <laughs> but it's um, His mercy flows like a river, washing over the souls of men. And there's there's it's coming. But that's just something that's been his, his mercy flows like a river. And that's the thing. In a relationship with God, it's a continual flowing river. It's not a stale pond. And his mercy is continuous. And it flows like a river. And it will wash over all the souls of men. And it is washing over the souls of men today. Even those who don't know him, his mercy is flowing over them as we speak. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. In James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, this is an action part for us. It's not that we are working for our salvation. We've already, we already have our salvation in Jesus. When we're talking about humility and walking in him, if pride comes in, we have to be the one to lay that down. Mm -hmm. We have to lay that come to that place of humility. And then he will lift us up to the holy mountain, his holy mountain. But if we're up on our own mountain, he's either going to destroy the mountain out from under you, or you've got to get down there pretty quick and get on his mountain. And then final First Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, and I love this, in due time. So, so sometimes it takes a little time. Once you've, once you've come to this place of humility, now it's the faith walk. He will exalt you in due time. And I believe that that's what he's doing with his people right now. And the fullness of that exaltation, if you will, is going to be when he comes for his people. Or we take our last breath and meet him face to face. That's when the fullness of that being lifted up is going to be. Because we are now lifted up out of this earthly tent. Out of this grave that we, we were really walking in. We're dead men walking and women. You know, the green mile. <laughs> when, uh, when I first read uh, David's uh, story, I expected him to be king right away because Samuel wouldn't let him in. Mm -hmm. What was it? How many years? Right. Thirty. And and all the and all the stuff he went through yes. with Saul. And forgiving Saul, uh -huh. not killing him when he could have because yeah. he was God's anointed. Right. Yeah. That one always. I ponder on that one all the time. Say because I believe, as his commander did, I believe that God put Saul in his hand. Yes. And I don't think David would have been wrong to kill him. 
because God brought him there, but David wouldn't do it. Now, that's the, David's heart was a, was a soft heart toward Saul, number one, and right. his son, Jonathan, right. and David were best friends. So that would have been hard to do, but knowing that he's tried to kill me that many times, God's got him right here in my hand, and not once, twice. Well, that's what he said. He said it was God's anointed. Yes. Right. That fear of the Lord. That, that was the fear of the Lord. Yes. It may have not been as placed as well as it should have been, because right. I believe when Samuel told Saul, your anointing's been removed and placed upon another. Yes. So he was no longer, but in David's mind, mm -hmm. God said he was. I'm not going to be the one to say he's not. And that was humility. God didn't come to David and say, okay, now you can kill him. Yeah, right. And so this is one of those to where we have to ponder, would he have been right if he had? I think he would have because I think God brought him in that place. But at the same time, he may have been more right by not because yeah. it really kept him in this place of humility. Right. And when the time was up, and Saul finally performed that last act of, of idolatry and going into the, uh, the to the witch and, and seeking that, you know, seeking the dead, you know? No. I mean, that was it. It was over. He was dead pretty much. Tomorrow, I think he said. Tomorrow you'll be. And he was. Yeah. But also, he, David knew there was an evil spirit in Saul mm -hmm. because only the playing of the harp calmed him. Yeah. That's true. And he, David knew he was being used by God. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah, those are those things to where, you know, when you're really walking with Jesus, you got to listen close. <laughs> you got to listen close. Well, sometimes things aren't what they appear. And you have to be careful in walking. But I, I go back to this, and I know this is a very specific uh, verse when Jesus told his disciples when they dragged him into court. And they do these things and bring all these uh, false accusations. Don't be uh, afraid of what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. If you take that and really put that into perspective, if you're walking that close to Jesus, he will give you what you need in every circumstance, not just when you're hauled in for court. But he will give you the wisdom. He will give you the discernment. He will give you the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues and interpretation, if that's what he has for you, the gifts of healing. All of these gifts he will give in accordance to your uh, what he what, where he has you and how he wants to use you, but it also comes back to this humility. If we walk in pride with the gifts, that we want them, we got to have them, or these are mine, he can't really use you in those. But if you come, Lord, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, if I can be in that closeness with you, in such a relationship with you that I hear your voice and I speak when I'm told to speak, I keep silent when I'm told to silent, be silent, I pray for sp specifically for the way you tell me to pray for different people and do all these things, then God will then begin to raise you up to be effective in whatever, wherever, whenever. But it's an ongoing relationship. And it may be you have this gift today never have again. May have another one tomorrow. But whatever it is, it always comes back to humility, and this is what Israel lost sight of. This is where the world has lost sight, and the church of the United States has lost sight. We're prideful people to think that we can do all the things that's been done over these last few years in the church, and God's okay with it. We've lost the fear of a holy God. Dangerous place to be. But who's the church? And so we pray for one another, and we encourage one another, and we and we speak truth. 
and we're not going to deny it. We're not going to uh, put it away, and we're not going to cower away from it, no matter where we are or when we are. We, but we still seek wisdom, because the Bible also says, "Don't cast your pearl before swine." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, what does that mean? Well, it means that you listen closely what God has you to say when you're to say it, and He will do the work. Any final comments before we close? 